This podcast is made on Darawal country, the unceded land of the Wadi Wadi people. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Are you at a career crossroads and thinking about what's next for you? For career change tips, stories and resources, sign up to our newsletter or check out our new online courses at whatshedidnext.com.au. Although I was like confident in making that leap, you still hear like a tiny voice that sort of questions like, are you sure? (laughs) And it's just, I think, being able to be like, yes, I am sure. Like, I really do feel in my soul and heart, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of What She Did Next. I'm your host, Jackie Uwe, and this is a podcast where I talk to women about their inspiring career changes. in a career that has an expiry date and soon you'll have to figure out what's next for you? This was the case for Annalisa Moppio-Jane, who started out as an athlete in the world of swimming, going all the way to the Beijing Olympics, representing Papua New Guinea. But after more than 12 years competing internationally, she retired from the sport in 2015 and she's taken her career in an entirely different direction. Annalisa discovered an interest in the mental health field and has retrained as an accredited counsellor. In some ways, it's a big leap, especially starting her own practice in Brisbane, but she's maintained a connection to her first career, using her new skills to give back to the sporting world and support her fellow athletes. With counselling such a big interest area for many women seeking a career change, I was curious to find out how Annalisa made her career shift happen and her best tips for others who might be thinking about a similar move. We also talked about the other role that's keeping her busy right now as a guest presenter on ABC TV's That Pacific Sports Show. So please welcome from Brisbane, Annalisa Moppio-Jane. So Annalisa, as an athlete, you're in quite a unique position in that you know almost from the outset it's not going to be a forever career. So was that something that was always in the back of your mind even when you were still competing? Yeah, definitely. I know my parents sort of instilled in me the importance of education and having something else uh, lined up for when I did finish swimming. Mm. And is it because swimming, I mean, swimming is also a bit unique in that it's not necessarily a well paid career. (laughs) So was it always the case that you had a bit of a dual career going on? Well, I was really fortunate to have um, the financial support from my parents and uh, my dad pretty much did say when the swimming stops, so does the money. Um, (laughs) How young did you start swimming? Well, I made it through like all the learn to swim sort of levels, but I think I started in an actual swim squad when I was about nine the squad coach came up to me and asked, you know, are you interested to actually join the swim club? And I was like, oh, I don't know, because I was a bit scared because that was in the 50-metre pool. I was doing my learn to swim in 25 metres. Even though I was fine doing laps in there, I was a bit scared to go into the 50-metre pool. Right. But he was like, yeah, just come along, have fun. And I think I just enjoyed the other kids pretty much. Um, And it was fun. 
Well, you went on. I mean, you reached some pretty heady heights in the world of swimming. You went on to go to the Beijing Olympics and you were in three Commonwealth Games. So how did you know when it was the right time to retire from the pool and was it a difficult decision for you? It was definitely a difficult decision and I actually retired twice. Um, right. <laughs> so after, after the Beijing Olympics, I was like, that was amazing. I want to go to another one. And my aim was to train for another four years to hopefully go to the London um, 2012 Olympics. But uh, by 2011, I actually hated swimming. So, oh, right. Well, um, why was that? I think I was already starting to think about a career after swimming. Um, I was working in the sports industry at a sports centre. I was really enjoying that and I was starting to sort of think more of wanting to have more time to build a career outside of swimming Mm. and, yeah, I just didn't really love the sport anymore. It wasn't bringing me the same sort of enjoyment or joy and, yeah, so I think that was sort of why I'm like, no, I think I'm I'm done with swimming. So um, my coach was fantastic. Because when I told him, I was like, I think I, I don't think I want to swim anymore. And he sort of replied, was like, yeah, I know. I just wanted you to sort of figure that out by yourself. So he could see that I wasn't into training and as much anymore. Um, but I love that he allowed me to make that decision myself um, mm. when I sort of figured it out. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. And because what, I mean, can you paint a picture of what your life looked like as a swimmer? Like I imagine it's a lot of training and pretty much (laughs) taking over your life. Yes, yes. So, yeah, Monday morning I would train in the water. Uh, I think it was, yeah, 5.30 to 7.30. If I was still studying, I'd go to class or I'd have a nap and then sometimes I'd be working as well and then I'd go back in the afternoon and train again like 4 till 6 p.m., um, and I do that Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, Wednesday morning was the sleep in. So no training, but Wednesday afternoon training again, Thursday, Friday morning, swimming, Thursday, Friday afternoon, swim, Sunday morning, wow. swim. And then on top of that, then I was also doing gym as well and Pilates okay. um, and sometimes a run. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds exhausting. <laughs> And so you said you retired twice. So what lured you back after feeling like it was time to go? So uh, I always knew the Pacific Games was going to be in Papua New Guinea for 2015. So even when I retired in 2011 and I hated swimming, I knew I was going to get back in the water to try and compete at the Pacific Games because it was always an amazing, fun competition. And because it was being held in um, Papua New Guinea, I wanted to be there, um, obviously representing PNG. So I, I think I got back training in the water in 2014. So I gave myself right. close to a year. Okay. Um, training again to get my body prepared and my mind prepared for that competition. And then, yeah, then I ended up swimming the 2015 Pacific Games where I won one gold, two silver and three bronze medals in that competition. Wow. So okay. that was a pretty amazing way to end my career, um, being in my home country and, yeah, yeah, I love uh, having that. those achievements. <laughs> well, I think, you know, and that must have felt really good because I think when people are deciding perhaps when to move on from something, mm. you know, a milestone moment like that can be a really good place to go. You know, you don't want to leave something when you're hating it necessarily. Like it almost yeah. sounds like you had a bit of unfinished <laughs> business with swimming. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and so to leave on that high must must have felt pretty good. 
Yeah. And it was so nice to um, have like my extended family supporting me in PNG because they knew I swam, but they never saw me compete at a level like that. So that was really nice to have like my aunties and uncles and cousins who weren't able to come to, you know, any of the other big meets to have them there in PNG supporting me was, yeah, very special. Amazing. And so how did you figure out at that point what you wanted to do next? Because as you said, you didn't go into counselling straight away. You were mm-hmm. looking at sports or event management, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, So how did yeah. you sort of yeah navigate that process of what do I want to do next? Yeah, so I was working at UQ Sport when I finished swimming in 2015. So I was working yeah with um, university sports, social sport, and college sport as well. And then I think my last role at UQ Sport, I was working as elite athlete program coordinator. And that was sort of my first experience working with athletes and their mental health and well-being space. Cause I was talking to the student athletes, discussing sort of what are their timetables like? How are they coping with the commitments of university as well as their sporting commitments? And that's when it sort of sparked that interest in me. And as part of my role, I was able to do the mental health first aid um, training. And that was another eye opener. I was like, oh, I really like this space. And that's Mm. sort of when I realized I'm like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. I've got obviously my own personal experience as an athlete. Um, I'm really enjoying working with the student athletes that are at the University of Queensland and helping them. Yeah. And that was sort of the first sort of taste where I was like, oh, I could do something in that mental health space, but I still didn't know in 2015. And I ended up from UQ Sport going to the Commonwealth Games um, at the Gold Coast 2018. So I worked there and then I had my first son. And so it was during that time where I had like, um, I think a year and a half off or maybe a year off Mm. work. And I was sort of thinking about going back into that same industry and I actually couldn't get a job at the same pay rate that I had previous to my first son. So I was like, well, if that's the case, maybe I'll just go back and study. And that's when I made the decision to go to university and study counselling when, yeah, after I had my first son. Okay. And were you worried about going back to study? Because it is, you know, a big financial and time commitment, especially having a family. So mm-hmm. yeah, how did were you worried about that and how did you make it work? Well, I love learning. So I wasn't like too scared about that, but definitely in terms of um, finance, I was very fortunate. My partner was very supportive of me going back to uni and studying. And actually when I ended up enrolling at uni, then I got a part-time job as a student support officer. Um, with Yallery and I felt like that was like another sign like yes this is the right direction because as a student support officer it was a very informal type of counselling so I was doing that part-time while also um, studying at university and thankfully having the uh, support from my partner as well in terms of that financial support he was working full-time and that sort of allowed me the opportunity to be able to study work part-time as well. Mm. Oh, that's brilliant because, yeah, I think the whole thing, you know, we like to talk about with career change is ways you can test out what you want to do next, Mm. you know, like leaping into the study, which a lot of people tend to do is great if you're just interested to study that course, but it doesn't really tell you what the day-to-day of that role is going to look like. So, yeah, it sounds like you had a few opportunities there to really, you know, put put yourself in the shoes of what that role was going to look like 
before you committed to the study and during the study, which is great. Yeah, reaffirmed it for you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, how did you choose which course to do, and how long did it take you? So for me, I knew I didn't want to go and do another bachelor's degree in terms of time. I didn't have three years of full-time study in me. Um, so I was looking at um, graduate diplomas or graduate certificates in counselling. However, I did want I did want to study somewhere that I could then be accredited with a national governing body. So I ended up choosing to study at University of Southern Queensland, USQ, um, their graduate diploma of counselling because I was then able to be accredited with the Australian Counselling Association. So for me, that was important to be able to say, yes, I've studied here and I'm a, an accredited counsellor through the ACA. Mm. And that was one year full time, okay. um, which was what much more manageable for me, which I ended up doing three years part time um, yep. and actually ended up having my second son in the second year, oh, lovely. <laughs> which was quite the juggle. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Wow, okay. But no, that's really doable though. I mean, one year uh, I mean, over the three years, I think that's a great way to have done it. So it still feels... Mm-hmm manageable you know when you look at some courses and it's like three years full-time and then mm-hmm. what does that even look like part-time <laughs> yeah exactly like that would have just been way too much for me to handle in terms of my time commitment um, and I was fortunate with doing the postgraduate diploma where I was able to do either one or two subjects each semester as well mm. as working my part-time job and uh, looking after my kids <laughs> And so now you started your own practice in Brisbane, which I gather you wanted that flexibility of working for yourself. And your niche is working with athletes at all different stages of their careers. So from Mm -hmm. student athletes who might be juggling study and um, training or competing, as you once did, right through to athletes who are at the end of their sporting career. And so I really love you referred to this before that you've been able to bring your lived experience as an athlete into your new career because I actually... Mm -hmm like to think of lived experience as a bit of a career change superpower. I think, you know, we get so focused on the professional uh, qualifications and things, but particularly Mm -hmm. when you're making a move, you know, a little bit later in life, I think a lot of women don't think about their lived experience, whatever that might be, being a mom or having been an athlete and how that, you know, can really give you a unique insight or a point of difference for, you know, your next chapter. So, I mean, do you think your lived experience, it obviously has played a crucial role in what you're doing now. Has it brought, did it bring sort of a level of confidence or a point of difference to what you offer? Definitely, definitely. Um, and it was so interesting, like talking to some of the other students while I was studying counselling, a lot of them were then going to go on to either pursue a master's in counselling or get some work experience. And I was, yeah, one of the very few who was like, well, I'm going to go start my own private practice. And a lot of the comments were like, oh, I couldn't do that. Like I don't, I feel they didn't feel confident in themselves in terms mm-hmm. of being able to have their own private practice. But I think it's important. I do have personal experience, but I'm going to be continually learning. Yeah, I'll always have that professional development other courses that I'm looking at completing or other material that I'm reading because, I mean, things are always going to change, but I do have that personal experience that I can call on, especially when working with athletes 
because I have been in that situation. But again, everyone's situation is different. So even though I have my own lived experience, it's not for me to then be like, well, I did this, you should do that. Um, And I think that's really important as a counsellor, though I have my own experience, it's still important to be able to listen to the clients and what they're actually going through and also what they actually need support in. Mm. And has that, like, have you sort of shifted, you've been working, I think, for six months now with your practice, have you sort of shifted along the way of what your services, you know, realising what you can offer? Like, I guess at the beginning, you would have had a particular Mm -hmm. picture of this is what I do. But yeah, Mm -hmm. what have you learned, I guess, in those first six months? Well, yeah, it's not even six months. I I don't even think I've hit like five months yet. So I'm really, (laughs) still really like fresh and excited. (laughs) But I've actually branched out and I started making some digital products um, to complement my counseling skills. So I've got guided journals, guided meditations, um, self care cards, affirmations for athletes, and it's all athlete specific. So one of those guided journals is for athletes who are injured and going through rehab. So it includes reflection questions in there for athletes to be able to, you know, really sit down and think about what they're going through. How are they coping? What are the support systems that they currently have in place for themselves? Because they obviously have a lot more time because they're not competing and training at the same level. And yeah, especially like meditations, I made a game day specific meditation. So for it's more aimed at rugby and football players just sort of reminding them, you know, that they can do it. They've put in the work, they Mm. can kick the ball, they can tackle, they are strong, they are capable, giving them their those positive affirmations and just to decrease the stress and anxiety that sometimes comes up for athletes on game day. Yeah, because, yeah, I know that sports psychology was something you were really interested in for that, you know, peak performance. So, again, your understanding of that would really benefit people. And I'm always curious to ask about the identity shift that can come with making a career change. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, I think sometimes a career change can look bigger from the outside than it feels on the inside. Like, I know for me, when I switched from magazines to the charity world, very long time ago now. Like it looked like I was doing something completely different, but to me, you know, I was still using the same skills of, um, you know, writing, interviewing people, storytelling, but it was, you know, in a different context, I guess, and for a different purpose. I mean, how big has your shift felt to you? I think it's felt big, but I think I have like, I mean, I've always had, um, I've had lots of different transitions in my life. I think going from athlete and even just like retiring there, that was a massive step. And then I became a mum. That was a huge thing. And then I made the decision to go back to uni and be a student. That was huge. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to start my own business. Again, massive change. And, and they are big changes, but I think I was ready for each of those changes and that's Mm. what helped because I knew the direction that I wanted to go in I knew that I wanted to be a mum I knew I wanted to go back and learn something new I knew I wanted to start my own business Um, and in each of those stages I had the confidence in myself Mm. I'm still scared (laughs) still I still don't know what I'm doing half the time in each of those different roles but that's okay I'm gonna learn through those and Again, I'm a counsellor and I'm a business owner at the moment who knows what I'll do next. Yeah. 
So I'm leaving that open. <laughs> yeah. But no, it sounds like that clarity, because I think that's the thing that can hold people back is the lack of clarity. So to, you know, that really does propel you forward. I think when you're, you know, whether it's through gut instinct or just knowing that's what you want to do, it's a good yeah. driver for change. And how did it feel to put yourself out there as a counsellor for the first time because, Pete, you know, whether it's your LinkedIn, like I know I've redone my LinkedIn profile numerous <laughs> times over the course of my yeah. career changes of like how do I position myself to people mm. now like in a way that's comfortable to me but also reflects this new thing I'm doing? Like was that a big thing for you? Oh, definitely. Um, like even in the – because being an athlete was like so ingrained for so long, I still think of myself an athlete sometimes but I'm not <laughs> – um and it's just especially with what I'm doing now counseling with athletes it's more reconnecting with you know some of those coaches and physios and managers that I used to work with as an athlete and letting them know what I'm actually doing now and I think it's a bit of a challenge as well because some people did know me as a swimmer as an athlete but I'm reminding them that I have this other role um which I can help them with if they'd like help Mm. um yeah, so reminding others, connect, reconnecting with other people in those networks and letting them know what I'm doing now. Mm. And you're also doing some TV work with that Pacific Sports Show on ABC, which is yes. quite different again to your counselling work, but I <laughs> yeah. guess it still maintains that connection to your first love of sport. Yes. I mean, do you think, well, can you tell us a bit about that first of all, but do you think as a society we are a bit more accepting now of people wearing different hats in our careers and being more than one thing? Yeah. Oh, I definitely think people are more accepting. I think, yeah, because people, you know, they have different interests and it's okay to try out new and different things. And in terms of that Pacific sports show, I love how that opportunity came up for me because I was actually interviewed as the athlete and speaking about my experience. And then they saw that and they were like, wow, you know, you you speak well, um, you know, you come across well on camera. Would you like to, you know, come to the studio and be a guest? I was like, yeah, I'd love oh, wow. to, you know, flew down to Sydney. And then they're like, oh, you did great. Would you like to come again? I was like, oh, yes, please. <laughs> and then because I'm based in Brisbane, there's athletes obviously in Queensland. So they asked if I'd be interested in interviewing other athletes for the mm-hmm. show. And I said, I'd, I'd love to have that opportunity. So oh, I've been so extremely fortunate being able to connect with so many different amazing athletes from the Pacific that are currently based in Queensland, um, training and competing in a range of different sports. Mm, that's brilliant. So, yes, people can keep an eye out for you. Are you a regular <laughs> is, and is the show on every week? Yeah, so it's on every week. I think it's um, Wednesday evenings. It goes out on ABC iView and it, I think it's on Thursday morning, I think like around 10.30 or 11 maybe on ABC. But, um yeah, I think the last episode I did was, I think it was the end of May, but I did actually just record an interview for Oceania Rugby Women's Championship, which was held down the Gold Coast. So yeah, definitely keep an eye out on that. All right, Annalisa, we're down to the final four questions. So if someone listening was interested in making the leap to become a counsellor, what would you say to them in terms of any tips or considerations? I think um, I'm just trying to reflect what I first did when I was thinking about counselling. I think I actually was looking at the national governing bodies within Australia um, and looking at the courses that were accredited through them. Mm. Um, That was sort of the first step for me and then choosing whether or not yeah, you're going to 
go and do a full bachelor's degree or something like I did, which was a postgraduate diploma instead, um, depending on what, I guess, your time and financial commitments are. Mm. And as you say, you started your own private practice. So that's a whole other set of learnings. I mean, (laughs) has there been anything in particular that's helped you on the business side and getting set up? Um, I think just connecting with other business owners um, who are at that sort of early stage in their business doesn't even necessarily have to be counselling, but just a new business because, yeah, I'm learning, you know, marketing, advertising, you know, that's all new to me. And I think, yeah, connecting with other like-minded business women has been really beneficial, understanding you know, what has helped them, what have been their challenges, who were their mentors, you know, what are other sort of short course um, around business that have helped them. Yeah. Okay. And we know that there are lots of things that can hold people back from making a change, whether that's an external barrier of some sort or your own self-doubt. What would you say is the biggest barrier you had to overcome to make your career change? Um, That's a good question. I think... (laughs) Although I was like confident in making that leap, you still hear like a tiny voice that sort of questions like, are you sure? (laughs) And it's just, I think being able to be like, yes, I am sure. Like I really do feel in my soul and heart, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Mm. Um, And I think it's a little bit of that ego and fear that's like, no, this is change is scary. Just go back to what you know and stay there. Um, Yeah. So just, I guess, stepping into that challenge and yeah knowing it's okay if I make a mistake as well like that's fine (laughs) yes well it's almost guaranteed when you're doing something new but yes getting comfortable that with that is very important (laughs) and and what is the best part about your work life now the best part's definitely being able to choose my own hours and having the flexibility like I had um, my sons were sick at the start of the week that was fine. I just stayed at home and chilled at home, you know, and cleared my calendar, um, having that flexibility because for me time is like that's gold for me. So, mm. yeah. Beautiful. And if people want to find out more about you or your counselling services, where's the best place to connect with you? So you can connect with me on Instagram. My handle's Annalisa Moppio Jane and also my website, www.annalisamoppiojane.com. And I've recently started a YouTube channel oh, cool. as well. So right. same thing, Annalisa Moppio Jane on YouTube <laughs> is where you can find me. <laughs> Check that out. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Annalisa. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me, Jackie. Thanks for joining me for this episode of What She Did Next. You can find all of the details about today's guest in our show notes. And if you're thinking about making a career change of your own, then you might want to check out our new online courses or subscribe to our newsletter at whatshedidnext.com.au. We're also on Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn at What She Did Next Podcast. What She Did Next is produced and hosted by me, Jackie Uwe, with production support by Perk Digital. Thanks for listening. <laughs>